I don't know you, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are uh, really uh, glad and excited that you are here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Welcome to Providence Road. Um, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us, especially in the season uh, where um, trying different churches may be challenging, maybe a little bit strange because of the precautions that all churches are having to take, uh, but we're really glad that you're here this morning. And we're going to take a break, a one-week hiatus from the uh, book of 1 Corinthians. And really, today, we're going to focus on, um, and the, title, the, the, the title of this sermon is, um, How to Follow Jesus in an Election Season. How to Follow Jesus in an Election Season. And as I've been thinking about this, and as I've been talking to many of you, um, I think right now, best case scenario... The, the season we find ourselves in, especially with the election and politically, um, at best, it's a distraction. And at worst, it's driving uh, people to a deep sense of anxiety and fear and confusion, disgust maybe. And I just, we just feel like as leadership, it would be good to stop and um, talk about it. And the, the scripture um, speaks a lot about it. And so we're going to cover some of those scriptures today. But let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we ask for your presence today. Pray that your spirit would help us um, understand your word, but not just understand, um, allow ourselves to, to uh, submit ourselves to it, to put ourselves under it, and allow it to um, read us, allow it to change us. I pray we approach the scriptures today um, with a measure of humility and really trusting you that this is your word and these words contain life and you want us to experience freedom and joy in you. And so we trust that your word is going to point us in that direction this morning. So help us this morning understand your scriptures and also apply the word as we leave here today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Um, as I was thinking about the scriptures we're going to look at today and the season we're in, one thing that we, it reminded me of something we used to do when I played baseball, especially in practice, it was called game simulation, or game simulation. If you played any sport, um, you have these things where it's kind of this, um, the intensity is raised in practice and you, the coach is really setting up an environment where you actually feel like you're in the game. The, 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 the natural intensity is not there, but the coach intentionally do, does some things, makes it more competitive, um, says the winner's going to get this, the loser has to do this, some things to get the players to focus and to really kind of buy into the, the situation that the coach is trying to put out there and really works, work on some things while you're under pressure, while you're in the heat of competition. And what I want to do as we approach these scriptures this morning is to realize that I think the scriptures we're about to read, they're not going to be, um, they're not going to be a, a feel new for many of you. These are fairly common scriptures. We know them. But I think right now, in the moment we find ourselves in, in this cultural moment, we really need to fully understand, buy in, and live out these scriptures. So as we read through, uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground in Scripture today, and I pray that we would um, really buy into them, and that we would allow the Scriptures to shape us. Because right now, we all have 
I think questions. I mean, I have questions um, as I've been wrestling with, with this season that we find ourselves in. Um, things like, and maybe some of these come up every uh, four years when election season, and I think that's a good thing. But what should the role of Christians in politics be? Like, what should our role be? How much should we be involved in politics? How much should we engage different issues uh, in the political realm? Um, what impact should the election season, season have on our attention and our energy and our emotions? Like, how much of ourselves do we give to this? Uh, when we think about the next few months, the election and maybe the, the immediate aftermath, um, do we ex- exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? As we think about that, is, is love and joy and peace produced in us? Or is it fear and anger? and anxiety, and confusion. Those are called the things of the flesh in the scriptures. And so to set our time up and kind of frame it, I want to read a quote from the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis's, uh, one of his most famous works. And if you don't know kind of the way this book is set up, you have two demons, right? The, the, the book is written through the, the, the eyes of the demons. And the older kind of mentor demon, the uncle, is called Screwtape. And the younger demon is called Wormwood. And so in this particular um, thing, this uh, passage here, Screwtape is writing Wormwood um, about, and the, really the goal here is obviously the demons want to distract Christians. They want to get in the way of Christians worshiping and loving God. When you see the word patient here, he's talking about Christians, right? Because that's, that's who they're working on, right? That's who their focus is, is, on, is on the patient, Christians. So let's listen to this. My dear Wormwood, Be sure that the patient, us, remains completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serve as an excellent distraction from advancing in virtue, character formation, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Be sure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there is a problem with or within himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. Okay, so I think that's a, a very, when I read that, I'm like, whoa, right? Like that, that's very uh, prophetic of C.S. Lewis to kind of write this and to to uh, consider what happens within us when we get too attached to politics, and, and that's, that's heightened in this season. So I have kind of an outline of four points here, and I want to briefly go over them so you can kind of follow me throughout this, because we're going to be jumping around in Scripture. Really, the first two points, um, I just want to, they're going to be reminders. I want to remind all of us of what Scripture says about us. Number one is going to be our role. Like, what is our role? What are we called to do here on earth as followers of Jesus? And two, um, what is our identity as followers of Jesus here? Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to I bring you into this because I think an important part in what I, what I want the church to, I want the church to appear a certain way for unbelievers. There, there's a lot um, of, of maybe misinformation, and if you just watch media, you can often get a poor picture of the church or of followers of Jesus. So I would encourage you today to, to really listen 
And this is in really looking at what the scripture says about how Christians are to engage politics. And you would track with, track with them. Maybe you would find how God calls us to approach this pretty attractive and, and, and uh, the way we are called to love people. So um, first two points are calling and our identity. The next point, how to engage in this season. Maybe a little bit of a roadmap, going to give you some, maybe some practical things to grab onto. And then fourth, just a challenge. I just want to end with a simple challenge uh, for us to, to start on this week, okay? So those are the, those are our, that's the outline. That's where we're headed. So let's look at the first one, our calling and purpose. Why are we here? Um, I, I love this passage because it's so simple and it, it is very clear. Mark 12, 29 through 31. And someone has just approached Jesus asking like, what's the greatest commandment, right? Like, what's the thing, if, you, if all you're teaching, just, like, simplify it. Tell us, like, what we really, really have to know. He says, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, here are the commands. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So let's just set politics aside for a moment and just look at what Jesus is calling us to do here. He says, number one, above everything else, you love God with your whole being, your mind, what you think about, your, your soul, the, the things you feel so deeply, your strength, right? These are the things, you basically love God with everything you have. Put nothing above him in, in your love. Second, he says, um, and it's interesting, he, he, he puts it together. You, we would think that that's, that's like by far and away the number one, but he doesn't want us to forget number two here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount several months ago, but the neighbor there is not necessarily our physical neighbor. And it's not only people who agree with us. It's not only people who look like us. Love your neighbor in the context of that teaching in Luke, uh, he he. Uh, uh, gives the parable of the Good Samaritan to kind of show the audience there that the neighbor can be anyone. It's anyone who comes across, you come across in your life, especially those in need. And that was the point of the, the Good Samaritan. So this, this, this person was in need, and a person from Samaria actually came and met that person's need when other people weren't. And that's who Jesus says, that's being a neighbor. And so when we, when we hear, love your neighbor as yourself, we often, I think, and I do this, I want to let myself off the hook, I immediately want to go to people that, in my opinion, are easy to love, people who agree with me, my family, my neighbor that I really like and, and, and know really well, rather than the neighbor that I don't know very well, right? But he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and again, Jesus defines that really as anybody who you cross paths with, doesn't matter what they look like doesn't matter how much they disagree with you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our calling. That's our calling. So before we talk about anything else, really any issue in the world, we should remember these are the two greatest commandments. This is what we're called to do. Next, our identity. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race. He's talking to the church here. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. And I want to point out a few things here in, the, in, in, in those two verses, 9 and 10. Um, we see this, this, this really, this idea of holy nation. And I think Peter here is being intentional. This is a geopolitical world, world right? Like he's saying, you are a new people group in the geopolitical sense. Not just like this cultural group of people, but you actually are a nation. It's another word for country. It's like you, you have a country of your own. Then he gives us these other um, big identity statements as well. And he says, you're, you're a nation, you're a people, so that you may, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So because of the gospel, because of the grace and mercy that we receive, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus. Not proclaim the excellencies of a party or a political figure or someone else. Like the person we, we should be known for proclaiming him above everything else more than any other person in this world. And in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were orphans. You were, you were um, unloved. You were lost. Scripture says you were like sheep without a shepherd, and yet you received mercy. Un, uh, un, um, undeserving, like unsolicited, like we were given mercy. We were given grace. Not based off our behavior or something we did or something we did to deserve it, but we were freely given grace and mercy when we wanted nothing to do with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, his commands, anything. We wanted nothing to do with that, and yet God still showed us mercy and brought us into his family and made us a people. And that is so, that's such good news and an identity marker that we need to remember as we engage here on um, earth. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you, so based off of kind of what I've just said, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to look, stop and pause on the, those words sojourners and exiles. You could also you kind of use the word aliens. This means that this, this world is not our home. This earth is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to another nation. We belong to another place. And so we are sojourners here. However many years God blesses us with, with years on earth to be alive, we are always sojourners as followers of Jesus. Right? We're exiles. Like This isn't our home. And I think we, we, we're, most of us know this scripture, but in the season, once again, we find ourselves, and I think we forget that. We forget that we have another kingdom. We belong to another place. We're citizens in another country, and that precedes the citizenship for us here on earth. And he says, um, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, right now, I mean, I can tell you, like, I wrestle when I think of the stuff going on in our world right now. I, my, the passions of the flesh kind of rear up inside of me. Not the fruit of the Spirit, but the passions of the flesh. And it says they wage war on our soul. So if you're really struggling, I mean, if you're like gripped with anxiety and fear, and this whole thing is dominating your whole life right now, it's, you're, you're, you're having a war waged against your soul. That is what is happening. And then in verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they, when they speak against you as evildoers, now this book was written to Christians who were being persecuted, more than likely in Rome, 
And what he, so he says, when they persecute you for your faith, which is what they were doing, they will see your good deeds still. Right? So even when they persecute you for your faith and they call you evildoers, they'll see your good deeds. And some of them, because they see your good deeds, because they see your love for neighbor, they will say, I want to glorify God on the day of visitation or when Jesus returns, Peter is saying. So there's a, there's a witness here that we have as this new people of God, which affects how we engage things here on earth. And I found it, uh, kind of came across this, this verse this week, and I haven't really thought about this in this context, and it really hit me. In John 18, 36, um, Jesus is on trial. He's about to go to the cross, and, and, and they're basically kind of waiting. Is he going to, like, bring in the kingdom now, right? Like, he's talking, calling himself a king. What's going to happen? His disciples are still kind of hoping this happens. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would have been fighting. So he gets it, right? Like, if he was going to take power, if he was going to bring in and set up his kingdom right there where he was at, um, he said, my, my people would have risen up. Like, we, we'd be fighting now if, if I was going to take this with power. But he obviously shows this is not the way I do things. I'm laying my life down. This is how I'm going to see my kingdom come is to lay down my life. And, and the followers, obviously, he's encouraging them to, see, to do the same thing. So I want to stop, and I want to give us just kind of a, a, a gut check on this a little bit, right? So I want to kind of say something. I, I want to say, if you, if you feel at ease, if you feel comfortable in either major political party, I think you may be in a dangerous place. Like, if you just feel comfortable, and you feel at home, and you feel like, this is, this is my home in this particular political party, I think you are in a bad place. I would, I'll say you might be in a bad place. I would say be careful because, and we'll get to this more here in a second, but I think you've placed the values of that party or an individual above the kingdom of God because no party is perfect. No party is equal to the kingdom of Jesus. And so if you feel comfortable, you may be thinking you're more of a citizen of this earth than you really are. You may be forgetting that your citizenship is somewhere else if you're putting your faith and hope and trust in a particular party or particular individual here on earth. Okay, so before we move to the next point, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we are a new people. We're sojourners. We're aliens. We're exiles. This is our identity as a people, okay? So we have to remember those two truths. We have to as we move into this next part here and, and start to answer some practical questions. Well, how do we engage in politics? Okay, how do we engage? Let's look at Mark 12, 13 through 17. This is Jesus here, and I think he gives us a great picture of the tension that I think he's calling us to walk in. And I say tension because I don't think necessarily this passage alleviates the tension that a lot of us feel. I think Jesus acknowledges it here. Let's, let's read it. So here's the, here's the context, just so we don't have to read the whole uh, chapter here. Um, they, they sent a group of people, Jesus was teaching, and they sent people to trap him with a really hard question, which should tell us that this is a hard issue, right? If they thought, hey, this issue is going to get Jesus, let's go after this one, then we should know that this is a tough one, okay? Verse 13, and they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. 
not just Pharisees, not just Herodians. They sent both of them. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Here's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Holding up the denarius to them. They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. right? Because they were trying to kind of push him one way or the other. You're either going to submit to Caesar, and you know, this king is going to give his allegiance to Caesar here, or he's going to just kind of disregard Caesar here, and that's going to cause a whole another set of problems for Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He, he kind of moves into this tension. He says, yeah, there's some things that we need to do to obey the law here. So the, the taxes you're called to pay to Caesar, yeah, pay it to him. That's like he's the ruler of this particular nation. You should obey him to some degree. But he also says, and give to God's the things that are God's. And as followers of Jesus, through our union with Christ, we are united to Jesus. God unites us to Jesus through the work of him. And so um, the, uh, um, Caesar's inscription was, 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 or a picture was inscribed on the denarius, and Jesus inscri- is inscribed on our hearts. He, he, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. We are his. We belong to him. We have a new kingdom. He, he is our greatest treasure. He, he, uh, it, it, we have a new law written on our hearts, right? That, it's inscribed inside of us, deep, deep down. So Jesus knows here, though, that we're living in um, a, the world that we still have uh, political rulers like Caesar, right? He's, he's acknowledging this sojourner idea. Yeah, I, y'all have to play by the rules here. You need to give what is Caesar's, but give also what is God's. Your true allegiance should be with God, even though you're still living here on earth. So the problem with giving our full allegiance to a political party or a person is that we can begin to overlook the flaws in that person or in that party. It's like when we give ourselves to anything in worship because we're getting something from it, they're our object of worship. So we're going to be blinded to a lot of their faults. We'll be blinded uh, to a lot of the things that are contrary to the scripture that they may represent. We're going to get blinded to that because we're worshiping them. We're worshiping that party. We can't stay objective. We can't see it through a biblical lens because we put everything on a particular party. We become enmeshed with them, to use kind of a counseling, counseling type word. We become enmeshed with that party, and we can't, we're, not, we're not independent enough to see things and critique the party as they should be critiqued from the biblical lens. And we can't hold them accountable. We can't hold our own leaders accountable if we can't create enough distance still to say, no, I only have one king, so it allows me to critique and to realize no political party is perfect. And we have to, um, that's the ha- how we have to walk, how to live this out. Now, one image I, I kind of got this week is that of an anchor or a tether you think about, think about a boat that's on an anchor, it's kind of tethered somewhere. Um, it allows the boat to go into places that it, it maybe needs to go, but it always remains anchored and tethered to one space. So it doesn't get out and get lost in, in the sea to use that imagery. 
It's always anchored, it's always tethered to this, which allows it to go out a little bit ways to engage something, right? Same thing with us politically. Like, we're, I'm not saying we shouldn't have an opinion. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we should even have strong opinions about candidates and parties and these kinds of things. Kind of the, the check, the, the, the boundary is, are we becoming, is that becoming everything to us? Are we still anchored in the scripture? Are we still anchored in the kingdom of God all the while holding a strong opinion or taking a stand in this particular place? So I think the question coming out of that passage for, from Jesus would be, does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your worship? Does Jesus have your primary allegiance above any political party, before, above any political leader? And if he does, that completely changes the way we actually engage politics, how we engage issues, how we engage people who don't agree with us. Now, I want to stop and say, say we're going to work into some practical things here, and um, I want to kind of promote two books that I think is, I would say it's must-reading for anybody in the church, right? I, I want to say that, and I'm going to list them. First one is a book called And... And it's put out by the AND campaign, and the subtitle is Compassion and Conviction, or Conviction and Compassion, those two. but if you put in AND campaign book, Compassion and Conviction, it'll come up. It's about 150 pages. You can read it in a couple of hours, right? It's not, it's not high-level reading, but it's got, they're really sharp in what they're writing about, and I think it's really good for us to hear and listen to. The other book is called Before You Vote, and it was, just came out this week. It's written by David Platt. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He wrote Radical. Um, I think it's a great book. I think he talks through a lot of issues, um, and I think he gives us a really good posture for how we should think about things. Neither one of those books are going to tell you how to vote. Neither one of those books are going to pick a side, and that's why I really like them. They really talk about how do we engage the issues biblically, and how do we think about voting biblically. And that, that plat book's also about 120 pages. You can read it in a couple of hours, right? I mean, you can knock out both those books in a couple of weeks. I would encourage you to go uh, find those books um, wherever you want to shop for books, okay? And so a, a lot of this stuff came out of reading those books. I just want to give credit where credit is due. First, practical here. So just a list of some things. Um, we must be able to point out and honestly critique the problems in our political party or on our side. Number one, we have to say this isn't perfect and be able to list the things that our party or political figure gets wrong, that they're not right here, they're wrong here. When I read the Bible, yeah, this makes me nervous. I'm not really a fan of this. We have to be able to do that. It shows humility, but it also allows us to remember this is not, our, this is not the king that we're primarily serving, Jesus is. This is an earthly political party. we got to know our blind spots. We can't give our wholesale support to a political party without recognizing the flaws. Because they do, right? They all have flaws. Hopefully we can acknowledge that. All uh, candidates and all parties and sides have flaws. So we just need to be honest about that, okay? We need to endorse what Jesus would endorse, but we need to be careful and stay distant to what is contrary to the way of Jesus. And that, that causes us to have to stay a little bit removed from our party or from our side and say, yes, that's biblical. Yes, Jesus would speak to that, but eh, I'm not sure here, right? And that's the tension that we need to live in. I think that's what Jesus was talking about in Mark 
12. Now, here's the other flip side of this. We need to quickly affirm what the other side or party gets right. On the flip side, the other side, whatever side you're on, the other party gets some things right. They can, we can read the Bible and say, yeah, what you're affirming, that particular platform, is good and right and true. Okay, And we can say that about political parties, right? And we need to have the humility and the, the objectiveness to say that. And if we do that right there, if we can do that, it would help so much in conversations and be able to actually sit down at the table and talk and have productive conversations with people you disagree with. Here's another one. Um, think of like two like ladders you're going up, going up here. I think one ladder is kind of the ladder of knowledge, and one ladder is the, la- the ladder of uh, passion, right? I think your, your passion should match your knowledge, okay? So if the, the more you read, the more you understand, the more you know about the issues and the party and what's going on, the more, in my mind, you can be passionate about those things, but what I think is dangerous right now is that there is a lot of passion and not a lot of knowledge about things, right? And I'll say on knowledge, you need to be getting your um, information broadly. Both sides, the middle, both sides, read, it, read as much as you can from different perspectives. If you're listening to one person or one podcast or one group of people and you're getting all of your information from just that particular group, you're missing things. Like we would never go into a, I would never go into a, even a theological debate with somebody and really have a good conversation debate where I really want to convince them to my opinion and not understand their side as much as I can. That's just part of a good conversation. So for us to be really passionate and go get them and let's post this and tweet this and not have all the information and not understand the arguments on both sides, I think is dangerous. So I think we need to have some humility. It's like, you know what? I, I think that's what I think, but you know, I haven't really read up on it a lot. So yeah, I, I, I think I have a strong opinion there, but you know what? I probably need to read a little bit more or, find, or, or study a little bit more before I really come at it and like, stake an opinion on this on this point okay just something to think about um as you're doing research on issues as you're reading about things you always do it with the biblical lens don't ever take your biblical glasses off and sit them down you're a you remember you're members of another kingdom of another place of another nation you're citizens in that kingdom we always see things through the biblical lens no matter what research you're doing what what you're studying another thing to think about um Who's good, question, who's good should I promote with my vote? What goals should I prioritize with my vote? Am I voting primarily to see my own benefits um, out, to get benefited from the particular winner or party? Or am I really thinking like Jesus would, and like, remember, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself, thinking what would bring the greatest flourishing to the greatest number of people? Not how am I going to benefit most from the winner of this election, or how are my people or my family going to benefit most from the winner of this election, but how are the most people going to get the most benefit from the winner of this election? Now, that, there's not an easy answer to that. There may be never an easy answer to say, oh yeah, that, that clearly is who's going to see the most flourishing, but the Bible calls us to go into that as 
Who is going to, um, that, that we're looking to the other person more than we're looking to ourselves. That, that's, that's Jesus, right? That's the ethic of Christ. Deny yourself. That means deny your rights, right? Lay down your life. Those are the ethics of the kingdom, okay? So we should vote with that in mind and not vote just on, hey, how am I going to benefit from this particular uh, person winning or, or whatnot? A um, couple of more, more quick ones. Um, disagree, but do it in love, right? That's, that, that's rare these days. Disagree, but do it with love. Now, I think everything we've talked, to, talked about before has to be in place before we can truly disagree. Because again, if someone threatens your object of worship, heck yeah, you get mad, Heck yeah, you're going to stand up for it. But if it's not your object of worship, if you haven't banked your life on this particular political party winning or this candidate winning, you can actually sit down and have a conversation and disagree, but do it cordially. Do it in love. Do it where it's productive coming out of it. And the last one I'll say, this is straight out of James, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I'll just say on social media... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it is really hard to listen to the other side on those platforms. It really is. It is so, that those things are built to be quick to speak, right? That's what they're built for. I mean, Twitter, bam, it's gone, out forever, right? And that's quick to speak technology, right? But James calls us to be quick to listen, slow to speak. I think what this can mean, played out in this, this topic we're talking about, is Asking the question, I wonder why they, they believe this. Like something, you disagree with someone something else on something, you say, I wonder why they disagree with me on this. I wonder what part of their story is informing what they think about this particular issue. I wonder if they've had experiences that are causing them to, to vote or to think in this way. I'm curious about that. I, I want to know more about your story. Oh, yeah, and you probably, you're going to probably learn um, some things about them that's the reason for them voting that way, which is going to produce empathy. It will, the more you get to know someone's story and why they think the way they think from their story, it will only produce empathy, which what empathy will produce is a better conversation. It's to be able to say, you know what, I disagree with you, but I, I understand where you're coming from now. And like how, how much of a better place would our world be right now if we could just say those words? You know, I understand you, I hear you, I want to understand deeper your story, how you do this, but I just can't quite go there. That's just, I just don't agree with you there. Like, that keeps people at the table and talking. And if you want to convince somebody that your opinion is right, like, don't we all kind of want that when we have an opinion? We, that's part of having an opinion, right? We want other people to share our opinion. Like, the, the best way to do that is not to demonize the people who disagree with you. It's actually to keep them at the table, it's actually to have the hard conversation. It's actually to say, you know what, let, I, this is what I think. Let me hear what you think about this and respond and do that kind of thing, okay? So this, these are, this is a little bit of the roadmap, some ways that I think Mark 12 plays out because there is a tension there, and Jesus acknowledges the tension. I'll say one more thing, too. I think um, as we're thinking about issues in general, I think some issues that we come across are um, clearly biblical, Right, clearly biblical, like you could go to Bible verses and you could say, this is what the Bible says about this particular issue. And we need to know what those issues are. There's a second layer of issues that really falls under like the common grace, just good human wisdom that not, the Bible's not going to speak to. And this, this is where it really comes into play. Like we just have to be able to say, this is what the Bible says. You know, I don't have a biblical reasoning for that particular um, 
issue, but you know what? We can kind of agree to disagree because this kind of comes, this is a human wisdom issue here. We can pray about it, we can talk about it, we can research it, but some issues I think are more clearly spoken about in the scriptures than other issues. So if you're trying to think through which issues are more important and which issues matter more, those, that's a good question to ask. I think go to the scripture, study the scripture and say, does the scripture speak to this particular issue? And then that is an issue you should probably buy into. You should probably hold tightly. No matter what party, no matter if it's red or blue or whatever who represents that, it's, well, that's a biblical thing, and I'm going to hold to that. I don't care what party holds to what, okay? Lastly, here's the challenge, and I want to end with this. Um, what are you most afraid of in the next month or two months? Like, what are you most afraid of? Like, what are you most concerned about? If you are the person that just, as you think about it, and you watch the debate the other night, and you just have this, maybe, like, this, this something going on inside of you, like, what are you afraid of? Like, what are you looking to in this season or in this election to give you joy, to give you peace, to give you hope, okay? That's the first question. What, like, what's this producing in you? Second of all, what are you most passionate about? Like, that, that'll tell you a lot what you're worshiping, right? Like, what do you find yourself most passionate about? What, what gets you most worked up? It's okay to be passionate about, about issues, but those are, the, those are the issues we're most likely to worship or we're most likely to uh, put our um, stake on the person who, see, who agrees with me on that issue. We wanna, we'll worship that person or that particular party. And then how does the Bible speak and answer those two questions? How does the Bible speak to your fear? your anger, your disgust, your passion? I think those are important questions to think about. And I want to leave us with, with this, this idea of hope. If Hopefully we understand if we're putting our hope in a political party or the outcome of an election, we're in trouble. We are in big trouble. We have to put our hope in Jesus. I want to read Romans 8. In my opinion, this is the best passage on hope we have. Um, here it is. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He hadn't talked about politics there. He hadn't talked about issues. He just talked about the gospel. 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect or God's people? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. If your side loses this election, you are not condemned. You're not. You are not condemned because Jesus did what he did. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to these things, right? These are the things that kind of worry us a little bit. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword, as it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not only can we survive these things, but we're more than conquerors, he says. We're not just survivalists just trying to get by, that we can thrive in the middle of this kind of season. 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If our country goes completely um, in a very, very dark place, this is still true. It's still true. Because when, when the Christians were hearing this, Rome was not, 
that this was not a place politically that was good for the Christians, right? Rome was anti-Christian in almost every way. Like they, wanted, they, they, were, they were persecuting them, yet the church thrived in Rome. We can't fix everything. Maybe some party, maybe some leader will bring some pockets of flourishing in our world and in our country. Yeah, maybe. And vote, vote your conscience. Vote in that direction. Be a part of that party or that person. But you should not put your ultimate hope that any party or person is going to bring in some version of utopia. It's just not going to happen. Our hope can't be in politics or in an election or in a, a political figure. And here's what that'll do. If that's our position, we can actually talk about important issues. We can talk about things without it being life or death to us. us. Not every hill has to be one that we have to die on because we know the future. We have hope in, in, in all things. And so we can be the person who listens well. We can be the person who can disagree with someone else and not fight about it and not have this you know, fight on social media where unbelievers are watching and they're like, these Christians are hateful and mean and they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And that's sad. I want to be the church that can do something a little different that's happening in the world right now. Can we be people who actually can sit down with someone and love them well and say, I disagree with you, but I love you. I disagree with you, but I want you to flourish. I disagree with you, but I hear you. I know your story. It's okay to have an opinion, but can we disagree with the other person in love? So stay engaged politically. Stay engaged. Support candidates of parties that best represent the values of the kingdom. But we can't put our hope in those things. Please don't do that. I want to end with this, and we're going to keep this up uh, during communion. This is a prayer for peace. I came across this this week. I just thought this was really good. Like If we just prayed this every day at the beginning, I think it would help at least my disposition. It would help the, my flesh not get the best of me on certain days or when I hear certain things. And I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into communion. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and this is a hard topic. This is a hard tension to navigate because these things do produce passion in us, and that's, that's okay. I just pray for us that it's a passion that is, that, is, that is birthed from the Spirit and wanting to see biblical justice happen, but even at that, we can do that in love. We can do that in understanding, and we can do that in hearing people who disagree with us. And we can still make Jesus the main thing while fighting for biblical justice and not making the justice piece the main thing. But we fight for justice because of Jesus. So help us love well. Help us remember that we are citizens in heaven. We're not ultimately citizens here on earth. It's temporary. It's fleeting. Your scriptures tell us it's like a mist. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. Help us realize that and live um, 
out of that identity that you've given us. Amen.